So um, if you have your Bibles, please turn to Matthew chapter 24, verses 42 to 44. And while you turn there, I'm just going to start uh, by opening in prayer. God, we just thank you, Lord, um, that we can just come here to church and have this opportunity to gather and worship you. And God, we just thank you, Lord, that you would help me um, speak your words today, God, and also you would help everyone here to have uh, open ears and receptive hearts. And God, we also just thank you for Chrissy and Ewan and their family, and we pray that as they take that well-deserved break, Lord, that they would be refreshed and have a great time together as a family. In your name, amen. Okay, so Matthew chapter 24, verse 42, you'll see it up on the screen, and it reads like this. This is Jesus speaking. So you too must keep watch, for you don't know what day your Lord is coming. Understand this, if a homeowner knew exactly when a burglar was coming, he would keep watch and not permit his house to be broken into. You also must be ready all the time, for the Son of Man will come when least expected. And so this morning through looking at this passage as well as some others in the Bible, there's three aspects to the return of Jesus Christ that I want to talk about today. Number one, what we do and don't know. Number two, what we should do about it. And number three, what helps us to do it. So what we do, what we do and don't know, what we should do about it, and what helps us to do it. Number one, what we do and don't know. Well, what's clear from this passage is that Jesus will most definitely return, but what we don't know is when he'll come back. We do know that when he does come back, his return will be as stealthy and as surprising as a thief in the night because we don't know when he'll come. Still, many people have made gallant efforts to predict the exact time that Jesus would return. You may have seen one of these uh, failures in the news most recently, a guy by the name of David Mead predicted that Jesus would return at a particular date in September. Well, it's now the 1st of October, so he failed. Then we had American Christian radio host Harold Camping. He said that the rapture and judgment day would happen on May 21, 2011. And then there would be a six-month gap. And then, the, uh, and then in October of 2011, the end of the world would happen. Well, we know that failed. And also William Miller, and I think they've even called this a Millerism, said that Jesus would return in March 21 of 1844. And when he was wrong, he thought, no, sorry, I've just miscalculated by a month. So uh, he'll actually come in April 18, 1944. But he, again, he was wrong and he failed. And every single person that's ever tried to predict exactly when Jesus would return has, has failed. And I think there was, there was one commentator I was reading as I prepared this sermon, and he said, on the one hand, we have absolute certainty Jesus will return, while also having utter uncertainty as to when. And so that's the predicament and the tension that we find ourselves in. So in response to that, what should we do about it? That's the question. The answer is in verse 42 of Matthew chapter 4, uh, 24, where he says, keep watch. And keep watch is translated from the ancient Greek word, Gregorio, which means stay awake. And in the Bible, sleep is often used as a, spiritual as a metaphor for spiritual death, and being awake is often used as a metaphor for spiritual life, which comes through a relationship with Jesus Christ. 
But here in this passage, Jesus isn't talking about waking up, which is symbolic of receiving salvation through Jesus, because he's not talking to non-believers. This, this conversation he's happening, that he's having isn't happening, uh, it isn't the Sermon on the Mount where he's speaking to people who don't know him. He's speaking pretty much in the, I think it was in the, the Garden or the Mount Olives, and he's speaking to the disciples. So he's not saying to the disciples, wake up. He's saying to them, stay awake. And what he says to them doesn't just apply to them, it applies to all Christians throughout the world, like you and me. And his message is simple. Don't go back to sleep, which is spiritual death. Stay awake. (laughs) Sorry, I'm just thrown by my son crying. It's okay. Stay awake, be alert, and keep watch, or else when I return, you won't be ready for me. That's what Jesus is saying. So then staying awake and keeping watch are really about the same thing. They're both about Jesus' desire for us to live holy, Christ-like lives that are about diligently following and obeying him. That's what it means to keep watch. Keeping watch is staying awake. But here's the thing about holiness. Even though we can rely on God's presence to help us to diligently follow him, it still takes effort. It still takes effort. And at times, putting in that effort can be exhausting and draining. Living a holy life also makes you stand out. And as a result, that can bring criticism and can also impact on relationships that are really important to you. And how much do we experience that today in this ridiculous, uh, politically correct, highly sensitive world where the other day... Whatever you think of him, Tony Abbott was walking down the street and a man headbutted him in the face just because he doesn't believe in same-sex marriage. You know, and I think it's for these reasons that many Christians settle for a home-brand version of holiness. You know, like when you go to the shop and you have the choice between two of the same product, you can go for the proper version or the cheaper imitation version that's of a lower standard and a lower quality and if you're cheap like me you you find yourself in that dilemma it's like oh i could go for the energizer batteries but the black and gold batteries they're only a dollar 99 or i could go for the wheat bicks but the wheat bricks sound pretty good <laughs> you know and the list goes on like probably the the one that gets me is i could go for the desonia bacon but the budget bacon, that looks all right. But it's not. It's never good. <laughs> you know, and so it seems like a good idea at the time to get home and you realize the quality is so poor that in the end you would have just been better to pay the full price and get it done right the first time. And because of the challenges that, that come with living a life of holiness, the temptation is to settle for the cheaper imitation version of holiness because it costs you less. And because of that, it allows you to blend in, make less sacrifices, live a life that's far more comfortable. But at the end of the day, it's not worth it. It still takes effort, but for no result, because as far as Jesus is concerned, you're either all in or all out. You're either hot or cold. You're either in or out. And just as he paid the full price to purchase our freedom, he wants us to pay the full price that comes with following him. And we see this addressed by Jesus in Revelation 3.6. Through the Apostle John, Jesus writes a letter to a church in Sardis. And this is what he says. 
He says, I know all the things you do and that you have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. Wake up, strengthen what little remains, for even what is left is almost dead. I find that your actions do not meet the requirements of my God. Go back to what you heard and believed at first. Hold to it firmly. Repent and turn to me again. If you don't wake up, I will come to you suddenly as unexpectedly as a thief. Just as Jesus first of all said to his disciples, stay awake, in this here he's also speaking to a church of Christians and he's actually saying you've fallen asleep. You've actually, through complacency, you've just, ta- you've just rested on your laurels and you've actually slipped back into your former state. Only the real legitimate version of holiness will do. And that involves following and obeying Jesus diligently. So finally, uh, what helps us to do it? What helps us in our pursuit of legitimate holiness? I want to say that there's, there's two aspects to this. And the first is having hope in God's faithfulness. Um, hope in a Christian sense is a confidence that God will fulfill his promises to be faithful to us both in this life and in the next one. And we need to have hope in the world that we live in because we're being absolutely smashed in the Western world. Told, if you say that you're a Christian today, to be a Christian is morally reprehensible because Christians disagree with the way that the world lives. And even if you uh, disagree in a way that's respectful, basically what you're saying is, well, you're not al- like other people interpret that as saying, well, you're not allowing me to live the way that I want to live. How dare you? Who are you to tell me the way that I, you know, how I should live? So we see in China, Christians being persecuted severely. We see it also in Middle Eastern countries. But here in the West, I think that we're beginning to sort of feel a bit of pressure and a bit of mild persecution to start. And now more than ever, we need to have hope in God. And the reason we need to hope is because it gives us a reason to continue trusting God. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, Paul says, This is why we work hard and continue to struggle, for our hope is in the living God, who is a saviour of all people and particularly of all believers. You know, no one teaches a child to say why. But you'll notice that kids when they start talking and they begin to their cognitive skills begin to improve all they want to ask is why you know little johnny make sure that you behave yourself but why because i said so but why all they want to know is why as humans we want to know the why behind the what we want to know why are we doing this and if we lose sight of a vision and if we don't understand why things are important we struggle to follow through with them so for us as christians if faith is the what then hope is the why. Faith is the belief in Christ that moves you to action, but hope is what stirs you to keep on doing it. You know, Martin Luther, one of the great theologians, says that faith is how we start, but hope is how we continue. And so if you're not able to actually put your hope in Christ, you'll lose endurance and you'll just give up. So, it's, so we've got to actually uh, actually have hope in Christ. And hope looks beyond present difficulties and challenges towards the promises that God has for us in the future. It gives us a reason to endure and a reason to hold on. But the question is, how can we gain and maintain confidence in God's faithfulness to us? 
One of the key ways that we get that confidence is through reading scripture. In Romans 15 it says, Such things were written in the scriptures long ago to teach us, and the scriptures, scriptures give us hope and encouragement as we wait patiently for God's promises to be fulfilled. So it's important that we can be hopeful in God's faithfulness and that we can gain and maintain that confidence through reading scriptures on a regular basis or else we'll lack endurance and we won't be able to make it through this world. You know, you, you start out in a sprint through being a Christian, but then you'll grow tired and that's where hope comes in. And a great example of, of this in action uh, is captured in um, the book called Pilgrim's Progress. I can't remember exactly when it's written, very, very long time ago, by a man called John Bunyan, and it's written in really old English, and he wrote this while he was imprisoned, waiting to die, because he was being persecuted for his faith. And the protagonist, the key character in the story, is a man called Christian. And Christian literally, at the start of the book, becomes a Christian. And then he sets out on this journey of faith, and along the way, there's different companions that help him along his journey towards what's called the celestial city, which is heaven. And some of these companions are good, some of these companions are bad, but one of his constant companions is a person called Hope. And one day, Christian and Hope, they're walking along and they come to a really uh, difficult um, time, I guess, in their journey. And what they do is they fall asleep in a place that they're not meant to. They're meant to continue on in their faith, but they fall asleep through exhaustion. And then what happens is this monster called Giant Despair takes them and he locks them up in a place called Doubting Castle. And there he beats them up and he persecutes them and they're really struggling because they are imprisoned by doubts and all day long they are beaten up by despair. And then what happens is Christian all of a sudden comes to his senses and he realizes something. He says, hey, why on earth am I living here in this dungeon of, of, of doubt, being beaten up by despair, when this entire time around my neck, resting on my chest, I have had this key called promise. So what he does, he takes this key called promise and he finds that it unlocks every single lock that's keeping them in Doubting Castle, and then him and Hope are freed. And the whole principle of it is that you know, as Christians, we will face doubt, and doubt can lead to despair. But the only way that we can actually get out of those things and through those things is through the promises that Jesus has made to us, that he'll never leave us, he'll never abandon us, and that this whole thing that we do called the Christian faith, in the end, it will mean something. Because you've got to ask yourself, what if it doesn't? This means it's all for nothing. We're coming to church, we're serving him, we're working really hard, we're putting in a lot of effort, we're standing out and we can be persecuted by others. You've got to know in your heart that this, in the end, will all mean something. And God promises to be faithful to us in this life and also in the next one. And through regularly reading scripture and calling him to mind, we can lay hold of the promises of God and they get us through doubts and through despair. And I know some of the situations that some of you here are going through, and I'm not going to call them out because I don't want to bring embarrassment to everyone, but I know that some of what you're going through is really difficult at the moment. All of us here have, have reasons for doubt. 
You may even be finding yourself in a situation of despair at the moment. But through reading the scripture, all about the promises that Jesus has for us, you'll get encouragement and it will spur you on. And if you don't, you'll find it really hard to continue. In fact, you won't find this one up on the screen, but one of the the promises that really encourages me is in 1 Peter. I would say for myself, I don't struggle so much with doubt that Jesus will return. I don't really struggle with doubt of heaven. But what I find really hard is my struggle is more general in, in the sense that when I go to work and it's been a busy week, I just feel exhausted and I kind of find I can lose that joy and lose that peace and struggle for meaning and kind of go, man, this is really hard. Like, what am I supposed to do? But then I read 1 Peter and it says this. It says, Now we live with great expectation and we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive this salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. And if anything, the challenges I have confirm for me, yes, I am alive here on earth. And God, Jesus Christ, by, um, through my faith, Jesus is protecting me until I receive that great inheritance that is stored up for me in heaven. And it's beyond the reach of change and decay. One day I'll die. One day Janelle will die. One day Ezra will die. Every, you know, it's, it's difficult. It, it, is, it is actually quite challenging when you think about that. But I don't place my hope in my family. I don't place my hope in uh, my career, in my finances, because all of those things are subject to change and decay, but I have an inheritance that is stored up in heaven. And it's like the Christian faith can be summed up in, in the sentence, already but not yet. Already we have salvation, but it's not yet finalized. But one day it will be. And that's what gives me hope to continue on, and that's what gives me endurance. And that only comes through reading the scripture. Related to this point about hope, we also have prayer. Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 26, verse 41. He says, Keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation, for the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Prayer goes hand in hand with keeping watch because it's a source of spiritual strength for us. And Matthew 26 is this amazing analogy about what we've just been speaking about because three times Jesus says to his disciples, keep watch. And three times he returns to them and finds them physically asleep. And so he uses that as a, a metaphor to illustrate this importance of keeping watch and how prayer can help and support them and also how it can help and support us to stay awake in this spiritually dark world. You know, we need to pray so that we can gain the strength that we need to resist temptation and live obedient lives before Christ. And we need to take personal responsibility for that. You know, like just before I went on a week's holiday, I called Janelle one day and I was just getting slammed at work. And she just encouraged me to, you know, rather than just having a counselling session with her on the phone, just take some time and go and pray. And I did that. I went and I sat in the park for about 10 minutes and I prayed. And I just, the, the word that comes to mind is I just feel like it refueled me. It just reset me. And if we're not actually praying, that's hard. 
Because prayer is an expression of putting your hope in God also. But it's also, there is a feeling that comes with prayer. Not every time. Maybe you'll go into prayer and you won't feel anything. But for me, I find that it sustains me and that it does give me strength. So it's important that we not only regularly read Scripture to build our hope, but also that we regularly pray to build our strength in order to help us in our pursuit of living a holy life before God. So just to recap, there is three aspects to the second and final return of Jesus Christ that I've talked about today. What we do and don't know, he's coming back, but we don't know when. What should we do about it? We should keep watch, and that's about living holy, Christ-like lives and paying the full price of following him, not settling for an imitation, cheaper version of holiness. And what helps us to do that is by putting our, our hope in God's faithfulness, which we get through reading Scripture and also calling it to mind and also praying regularly in order to gain the spiritual strength we need to resist temptation and continue being obedient to Jesus. I'm going to close in prayer now, so if everyone would just like to bow their heads, close our eyes. <clears throat>